My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. I'm coming to you from the Hickson campus of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And we'd love to have you come and visit us. But if you're not in the area, please go to OurSundaySchool.com to see all of the resources we saw in class. Well, good morning, and welcome to Our Sunday School Online. It's great to see so many of you already uh, letting me know that you are here. So uh, welcome to those of you uh, that are live with us. And uh, if you want to take a second and go to OurSundaySchool.com and click on the Read button at the top, uh, you can scroll down and find today's handout. Uh, Now, today's handout is, uh, Lord willing, the third in a three-week handout, so we'll be really focusing on the last three or four pages of this particular handout. We'll be starting with verse 10 today in a few minutes. Uh, And you'll also need a copy of the Gospel of Mark. So uh, our Sunday school, uh, when we meet in person, we typically use these little scripture journals uh, from Crossway, and they're fantastic because they give you uh, lots of room to uh, take notes in and write uh, feedback and all sorts of different things. So would encourage you to do that. Uh, if you'd like to engage with me while I'm teaching the lesson this morning, I'd love to see your comments. Just comment away. Uh, we Our setup is such that, uh, thanks to Dave Barber for the additional iPad, uh, I can see your Facebook comments as they come in. Uh, so uh, welcome to all of you that are here, and uh, let's go ahead and get started. So we ask a question each week, what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we've studied so far? So be thinking through the answer to that question uh, as we begin uh, to read uh, Mark chapter 7. So if you got your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 7. I'll read the entirety of Mark chapter 7. And then we'll come back and talk through that question, what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we've studied so far. Mark chapter 7. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside 
cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed, and the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed, and he said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, and his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. So we had just talked about asking this question, what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we've studied so far? Uh, And you heard a little bit about it, uh, my answer last week, uh, when I was going through and talking about how Jesus relied uh, on the scripture to clearly articulate what God desires for us to know about him, to know about ourselves, and to do relative to our relationship with him and to do on this earth. Uh, Jesus demonstrated a beautiful sufficiency of scripture. And this repetition that Jesus does of going back to the scripture, going back to the scripture, going back to the scripture, for me, is a reminder as a teacher of God's word that the answer is not found here. Uh, The answer is found here. Uh, So it is a, uh, a reminding, a reminding, and a reminding, and a reminding of how this all works for me and how it is supposed to work. All right, so let's talk, uh, let's see who is here this morning. Uh, lots of folks, good gracious, that's fantastic. Um, Gary got up for Sunday school. Well done, Pastor, good job. He didn't normally get to come to Sunday school, so I'm glad you picked a good one to come to, so that's good. Uh, I can't wait to hear more about Jesus and his sigh. Uh, you probably heard it all. That's, I don't know much about Jesus and his sigh. When I sigh, Vicky usually gives the side eye. That's fantastic. <laughs> I sigh too, Vic. Uh, yeah. 
Barry. That's fantastic. All right, so last week we ended up with verse 9 in chapter 7, so we'll just quickly set the scene again. So in beginning in chapter 7, uh, the Pharisees and the scribes are gathered around. They have uh, chased, might be too strong of a word, but they have sought Jesus out. They have traveled 100 plus miles from Jerusalem to come and to find him and to try to trap him. And we, we know from reading all of the Gospel of Mark that ultimately they do bring up false charges against him. He's convicted, he is crucified, uh, he's buried, he rises again, uh, and he is reigning today. And the names of these scribes and Pharisees are lost to history. So before we get started, let's just make sure we understand that we have positioned this story in the larger context of the history of the universe. Jesus wins. So don't worry about that. So the Pharisees gathered uh, with him uh, some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem. Uh, they saw that some of his disciples, some of Jesus' disciples, ate with hands that were defiled, that is unwashed. We talked about how they have taken the Old Testament text and stacked all of these other man-made teachings and traditions on top of it. And they've gotten the whole thing flipped around. They thought that their teaching about all these different things was superior to the teaching of the Old Testament. Um, and it's not. So let's just make sure we're clear on that. So uh, in verses um, uh, 3, so we see that uh, they're asking them a question, why did uh, holding to the tradition of the elders? Uh, in verse 4, and when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. Verse, uh, there, there are many other traditions that they observe, uh, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. Verse 5, and then they come to this question that they ask him. Why or through who do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? So why aren't your guys doing what we're teaching, what our fathers have taught? Uh, it's a really clear question, but it uh, belies their motives here. It's a very transparent uh, motive that they have. And Jesus obviously sees right through this. He knows this. He knows all things. Um, and they have to finish the question, but eat with defiled hands. So we started last week with verse 6, and he, he said to them, well, or properly, or like well played morally, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? And again, we, we talked about how this would have been incredibly uh, insulting and affronting to who the Pharisees thought they were, right? They have this puffed up public image that everything is prim and proper, and inside, you know, it's just, it's deadness. Jesus calls them elsewhere whitewashed tombs. So Isaiah says, uh, this people, this is from Isaiah 29, 13, um, answer to the universe, Jesus wins in 42. Yes, well, we'll get to verse 42 later. Um, this people honors me with their lips, uh, but their heart is far from me. In vain or in folly or in emptiness do they worship uh, me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Verse 8, he continues he stopped quoting Isaiah here. He's directly talking to the scribes and the Pharisees. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. Um, you know, I said this last week, but God help us if this is true of us, that we, have, that we have abandoned the scripture and seized or held on tightly to something that is just tradition. Uh, it's, it's awful. In verse 9, he goes on, uh, and he said to them, you have a fine or a well way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to, this is a, a word that says that there is a purpose or a result intended from uh, in order to establish your tradition. So they wanted to establish their tradition. Jesus is coming to establish his kingdom. These are conflicting goals, and uh, Jesus will not be defeated. 
So just keep watching here. Uh, and then we get to verse 10. And verse 10 begins with the word for. And this is another word in the Greek uh, that assigns a reason. He's giving them an example of the sin that they are committing. And, and have no uh, uh, confusion around this. What they are doing is sin. It's not just bad theology. It's not just a poor hermeneutic. It's not just a bad way of structuring an argument. This is sin. When you take anything and put it above God's word, that is sin. So this should be really clear. So verse 10, uh, he's going to give you some examples. For Moses said, all right, so you've got your Bibles, flip back to Exodus chapter 20, because this is where this is coming from. Exodus chapter 20. And, and it's interesting, I, I think, um, that there are passages of the Old Testament. You know, it, the, the, average, the average person on the street knows very little about the actual uh, text of the Bible. But one of the things they're probably familiar with is Exodus chapter 20. So Jesus takes them back to something that anybody should know. So this would be the equivalent of, let's go back and look at our ABC. This is the basic, 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 because this is the Ten Commandments. Right? So he's going to take them back to the Ten Commandments. And in verse 12, Exodus uh, 20, verse 12, it says, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Very straightforward, right? Honor your father and mother. And we look in Mark chapter 7, verse 10, and what, how does Jesus quote this? He says, honor your father and your mother. He gets the text right because Jesus not only is quoting the word of God, he is the word of God. Uh, it's beautiful, beautiful uh, messaging here. But this word, this word in Greek, means uh, to prize or to revere, and it's a present active and imperative. It, it, the idea here is that this is something that we're supposed to be doing regularly. This is an ongoing command to be repeated. There's not an off switch on this. We are to prize and to revere our parents, full stop. And it would be good for us to periodically think through, are we doing that? Are we prizing them? Are we fixing a value on them? Do we revere them? How would our actions and our behaviors look to people who we value and prize? And is that true of how we engage with our parents? So honor your father and your mother. And, so he's got another quote he's coming with here. So this is from Exodus 21, 17. So probably just turn the page in your Bibles. Exodus 21, 17. This is not one of the Ten Commandments, but this is just a few uh, verses later. Whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. And I'm reading out of the ESV, and the ESV has a footnote next to the word curses. And it says, or dishonors. So it's a very similar concept here, right? Um, the Septuagint, this is the, the finish, the, the end part of this particular footnote. The Septuagint, which was the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. The Septuagint uses the word reviles. And if you look how Jesus translates the Old Testament into the language that he is speaking here, Whoever, back in Mark chapter 7, verse 10, whoever reviles, yeah, he got it right. Again, we see Jesus correctly quoting Scripture. So he's modeling for us what a right use of Scripture is. 
get the text right, okay? So whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. So that word reviles is a present active participle. Um, it's not a command, obviously. We don't want to be commanded to do that. It's not the present active imperative. It's a present active participle. This is a repeated lifestyle, habitual type behavior. So whoever has a lifestyle of hating or reviling uh, or speaking evil of, this word is used one other time in Mark Mark's uh, gospel in Mark 9, 39, and it's translated to speak evil of, and it's a very, very good translation. So whoever, whoever has a lifestyle of speaking evil of their parents, well, that's awful, right? That's absolutely horrible to have a lifestyle of speaking evil of our parents. Must surely die. These are the commands that Moses gave. This word for die is actually two different words in Greek. It's not a compound word in Greek. It's two distinct words that in English we have kind of run the meaning together. Uh, the first word means death. It's a noun. The second is a verb, uh, and it means to finish the bodily life or to die. So he's got a noun and a verb mashed together, and we translate it as must surely die. So Jesus gets the Old Testament text right. So let's look at verse 11. So he's given them two examples so far, both of them very close together in uh, Exodus 20 and 21. So verse 11 says, but. So he's just quoted the Old Testament, and now he's going to go and talk to them about what they're doing. And when you've got a teacher that tells you what you're doing, and when they're finished telling you, I'm sorry, that, that tells you what the truth is, and then they begin to tell you what you're doing, and the transition word is but, it is not good news for you, right? So this is, he's going to transition hard here. Uh, and this is, um, this is a, a really scary thing that Jesus is pointing out that they're doing. Uh, he says, but you say, so there's some contradictory statement that they've got versus what the Old Testament text actually has. And, and one of the things that you notice if you go through and you ever do a study on the scribes or the Pharisees or the Sadducees or any of the, these religious groups uh, in the, the New Testament time uh, that are found in the New Testament itself you'll notice that they had a lifestyle of looking for exceptions. They had a lifestyle of saying, yeah, but we're going to modify that just a little bit because this is better over here. And the reality is nothing's better than God's word because it's God's word. If he is the supreme authority in the universe, then his words are the supreme authority in the universe, period. So when we think that we can improve on that, that is not a helpful approach so they were looking for exceptions, and, and I would encourage us to look at the Scripture for expectations, right? What do we expect? What do we see expected from us by God? It's a much cleaner way to read the Scripture because then you don't have to worry about, well, how do I go and uh, take that and twist it so that I'm a bit more comfortable? No, 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 stop twisting. Just trust. So verse 11, but you say... If a man tells his father or his mother, so now we're directly speaking to mom and dad. If he tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained or, or benefited. Um, and, and there are times, and this is important to note, there are times in the life of uh, human beings where, where uh, parents take care of children, right? When you're very young, you need your parents to take care of you. Uh, through your adulthood, probably not as much. Uh, and then when your parents are very old, there is a time where that role is reversed and the care then goes from the child to the parent again. 
Um, so whatever you would have benefited or gained, so we're talking about toward the end of a parent's life here, very likely. So whatever you would have gained uh, from me is Corbin. Now, if, if I had to guess, if I, if I had to guess, uh, of, of all the Bible words that you're really familiar with, Corbin is probably not one of them. Um, and Corbin is an interesting word because it gives us an example to talk about transliteration for just a second. So you've heard uh, our pastors talk about uh, the concept of baptism many times. It's one of the two ordinances of the church. And uh, the English word, uh, baptize, uh, is a transliteration of the Greek word baptizo. Uh, you, you take the letters, the Greek letters in baptizo, and you turn them into English letters, and you basically get the word baptize. So it's a transliteration from Greek to English. Now, what has happened here is Jesus is using a Hebrew word that has been transliterated into Greek and then transliterated into English. So we actually get to see what's really, really close to the, the original Hebrew here because this is an Old Testament concept, this uh, concept of Corbin. Uh, in Jesus' day and age, this word would have been very, very tightly associated with a, the, the idea of a vow or a promise uh, or a commitment to give something. Uh, and the commitment to give something to would have been to the temple itself or the treasury. Uh, now, when you see words you don't recognize, it is a great opportunity to look for footnotes. And the ESV has actually given us a footnote here uh, at the end of this little phrase uh, that is Corbin, that is given to God. So you see I've highlighted the D there uh, in the middle of page 216. So if you go to the next page, uh, the last page in your handout, and look at footnote D there, it says, or an offering. Uh, the idea this has been offered up to God. And, and that might satisfy your intellectual curiosity, and it, it might not. And if it doesn't, because it didn't for me, uh, one of my uh, resources that I use, and I think I've mentioned this almost every week, is my ESV Study Bible has a great uh, uh, explanatory note, comment down there at the bottom, uh, for this concept. So this, this is the ESV's note for uh, Mark 7, 10 through 13. So no one questions the importance of this law in the Ten Commandments. Disregarding it was punishable with death in ancient Israel. Part of honoring father and mother is to care for them, both financially and personally, in their old age. Makes sense. We get this, right? No problem. However, here we go. Jewish tradition... Red flag should be going off all over in your minds here. Jewish tradition allowed that funds originally dedicated to the care of parents could be declared Corbin, meaning that the person would no longer be required to do anything for father or mother. These funds could now be given to the temple if so desired. And you might be thinking, well, so what? What's the big deal with that? Like, I don't, so, you, so you're going to give this money to the, to the, the temple. What's the problem with that? Well, uh, we are commanded to honor our father and our mother, and we are commanded to revere and respect them in a way that is a whole lifestyle. It's not just with our lips. It's with our wealth as well. Uh, and when parents need help, we are to help them. And what is happening here is the Jews have created a tradition. Now, now think about who did this, the Jewish leaders did this, who were in charge of temple uh, work. 
They said, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you can give to us instead of taking care of your parents. This is a problem. This comes from a place of a religious elite and religious authority that has a disregard for the Old Testament law. They are willfully and knowingly teaching something that is not in alignment with what Moses has commanded. And they are taking what appears to be many, many, many people with them down this path. So here's the equivalent. Um, we're in a building uh, fund raising uh, mode for our church. And you have said, uh, I want to give a certain amount of money uh, to go for this and I will, I will pay this over a period of time. And then uh, something comes up with your parents and your parents need help. And you have the money. You just haven't given it all to church yet because you're paying it off over a small period of time. And you tell your parents, no, no, I can't help because I'm giving that money to church. Time out. That's not the way this works. And one of the things that I love about the way Stuart Heights raises money is that there's usually a footnote at the bottom of a pledge card that says something like, if your financial situation changes, talk to us. And we'd love to make adjustments because we acknowledge that we don't know everything that's going to happen in the future. But that doesn't give us liberty to disregard what God has commanded us to do. So this was a way, this Corbin concept was a way for people to set aside the money that should be dedicated to helping their parents and do something religious with that. And you might be saying, well, that sounds really good. Do you remember the other New Testament teachings that Jesus has about giving and where people like to do their giving and how puffed up they get because other people got to see them giving? This is the idea that not only are the authorities, uh, the religious authorities leading them down an uh, improper path. This is also the idea that you get to be prideful about this public giving. It's just sin on every side of this. And Jesus calls it out, just calls it out. So that's verse 11, verse 12, and Jesus makes it super plain. Thank you uh, for making it super plain. Uh, then you are no, then you no longer permit him, this is the person that would declare something Corbin, to do anything for his father or mother. This word permit is a present active indicative. And there's a lot of uh, nuance with this particular parsing. So the present is a repeated. The active is very purposeful, intentional. This is the, the subject is doing the action. And then the indicative is a statement of fact from the perspective of the, the speaker. So you no longer, Jesus is saying, you no longer intentionally, repeatedly, as a fact from your perspective, permit him to do anything for his father or his mother. That's dangerous. Thus, and we're going to, Jesus is like boiling up the ocean all down into one simple statement right here. Thus making void the word of God. Like this is, we've gone full danger mode at this point, right? This making void, this is to invalidate, 
through, this is a, and this is the present active participle. This was a lifestyle of theirs. This was not just, and he's going to finish this up, uh, and you do this with other things as well in just a second, but this was a lifestyle. They, they had a lifestyle of taking God's word and invalidating it with their tradition. Oh, God help us if we head down this path. This is, this is scary space, right? Making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. So there was a generation and generation and generation and generation and generation doing this. And many such things you do. So this was normal for them, right? This was, this was a, a typical way of teaching. <clears throat> and if you read through the New Testament and you see Jesus's blunt, direct feedback to the Pharisees and your immediate response is, well, that was rude. Time out. Get the full story. Because they are invalidating the word of God with their theology. So Jesus gives us a fantastic example here of, of what to do. So uh, let's, let's look at our application and our personalization. Um, one of the, the interesting things that this uh, quarantine period has uh, given me is a bit more time to think through applications and personalizations in a way that I typically didn't do on a regular basis before quarantine. So I've got quite a few this morning. So you feel free to take these down or write your own, it's fine. Uh, but application point number one for me for this whole section uh, would be intentionally misapplying scripture is sin. And I think we can probably all agree. If you intentionally misapply scripture, that is sin. Okay. So what do, what do we do with that? And I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. So what, how do we personalize that? Well, you know, first way to, to do that, and this is 1A for me under the personalize, is stay close to the text. <clears throat> right? Stay close to the text. One of the reasons that our process for Bible study in our Sunday school involves hearing the text is that that helps us stay close to the text. Um, one of the things that, that Bible study and the way that we do it in starting uh, at the beginning of a book and working all the way through, you don't get to skip stuff. You don't get to skip stuff that's hard. You don't get to skip stuff that's convicting. You don't get to skip things that require more effort. You, you just, you go right through it all. Um, so stay close to the text. Uh, 1B there for me is going to be don't take liberties with the text. Um, uh, I, one of the things that terrifies me, Brian and I and several other Bible teachers at Stuart Heights have, have talked several times about the, the terrifying nature of what we do. Uh, to, to stand, I'm sitting today, but... Uh, to sit and to, to teach God's Word. Um, because there is a real concern of mine every time I open the Scripture that I don't screw this up. That'd be really bad. Uh, so A, uh, stay close to the text. B, don't take liberties with the text. And then C, examine our motives and repent and believe in the gospel whenever necessary. Um, because if, if we as teachers, as, if we as people who are explaining God's Word to someone else come at this with a motive of puffing ourselves up, of making ourselves look good, of having others look and say, well done, great job, that was fantastic, uh, and that's a, that's a real problem. Uh, and it's something to keep in mind as you go through and read the Gospels, especially uh, any of the Gospels, but as we go through and read uh, Mark, is that Jesus dies for these people who are attacking him. Right? This is one of the things that makes his message 
so unbelievably compelling is that he's not just saying, go be good, go be kind, go be Jesus-like. He sacrifices himself for these Pharisees and these scribes. He lays down his life for those who disregarded and invalidated the scripture itself. That is love. That is an example. That is what makes Jesus' words ring far truer than any other. So, uh, application number one was intentionally misapplying the scripture is sin. Uh, application number two for me was Jesus defends his own, right? We saw that the, when the scribes and the Pharisees came at him with these questions, he didn't just turn to the disciples and say, boys, y'all figure this out. That was, that was not the response. Um, and so uh, personalization number two for me is focused more on abiding and obedience and not defense, Right? The, the world is not going to love Christians. If you find yourself being regularly loved by the world, uh, check your doctrine because it's probably not sharp enough. Um, so Jesus defends his own, so we need to focus on abiding and obedience. The disciples sat there for all we can tell. You look at the text and look at what they did. They did nothing for this. Right? They just, they just sat there. Uh, so application point number three, there is a time for blunt, direct speech that rebuts religious elite. There's probably a cleaner way to say that, but this felt like a, <laughs> Julie's laughing at me on the couch. There is a time for blunt, direct speech that rebuts religious elite. So those are your vocabulary words today, kids, if you're taking notes. Uh, all of them, like that whole sentence. Uh, but there is a time to clearly say this is true and that is not true. Um, and Jesus gives us a beautiful model of how to do this because it's not just the words that he says, it's the way that he does it. So notice how he does it. So uh, personalization number three for me has three parts. Uh, so Jesus, follow Jesus's model. Uh, part number one is it's directly to the offender. He doesn't tell his disciples, hey, look here, I gotta, I'm gonna go and talk about these guys. No, 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 he directs his, he directs his words directly to the Pharisees and the scribes, directly to them. So this is a model for us. When we see someone that we are near stating things that are not true, things that invalidate the scripture, directly engage. It's okay. Uh, second thing Jesus does here is he focuses on the facts, right? He quotes the scripture right if you don't have the scripture memorized, but you think that's not right, I think something's wrong, go get a copy and read it. It's okay. It's, life is an open book test and I'm thankful it is. Uh, so Jesus's model is directly to the offender. It is focusing on the facts, focusing on the text of scripture. And then three, it's dependent upon the sufficiency of scripture. You don't have to have an outstandingly compelling argument. Just read the text, just quote the text, it's okay. And to say, is what you're saying this or is it something else? Because if it's something else, that's not true. If it's this, that's great. But if it's something else, that's not true because the, the text of Scripture is true and we know this and we can rely on this and it is wonderful. So I haven't seen any uh, questions about my T-shirt yet. Um, <laughs> 
that's y'all are making jokes about my faces here. Here we go. Uh, so, but the, so I'll give you a second, uh, take a look. So somebody tell me the movie that this t-shirt is from. Um, Give you a second to respond here. It's one of the best quotes of all, any movie uh, of all time. Um, there you go. Highway to the Danger Zone. That's exactly right, Gabe Erickson. This is from Top Gun uh, because I was inverted. It's one of the quotes Tom Cruise makes to uh, one of the uh, other fighter pilots in the movie. And uh, this shirt, to me, reflects exactly what the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious elite of that day were doing with the Scripture. They had the whole thing flipped on its head. They had their voices above the voice of Scripture. And you'll notice that in my library, I have a lot of books. This is my Mark section right over here. Uh, and when I come to a, a part of Mark and I go, I don't understand the grammar, I don't understand that word, I don't understand this tradition, I don't understand this this religious context or the geography or some part of the cultural component here, uh, I go and, and I, I make sure that I use resources that are very helpful. They can be very, very helpful in the study of Mark. Uh, but at the same time, if at any point in time, any of them disagree with the text of Scripture, that's a problem. So we got to make sure that we don't get our entire theology uprooted well, I believe this concept because so-and-so Bible teacher said it. Heed the words of Jesus. Don't invalidate the scripture because of the tradition of men or the teaching of men or the theories of men or the commentary of men. We can get dangerously close to heresy very quickly. All right, so uh, that concludes our Sunday School lesson for today. Looks like several of you have uh, Top Gun in your heads now too. That's good. Uh, next week, Lord willing, we'll start with Mark seven fourteen. Uh, the handout for the following two weeks, uh, I think we'll probably use the same handout for the next two weeks, is already at OurSundaySchool.com. So go ahead and uh, download that, print it off, uh, make some notes. If you have any questions or feedback, I'd love to hear those. You can put those in the comments or you can send an email to me uh, or you can go to OurSundaySchool.com. There's a feedback form there as well. Uh, would encourage you to uh, subscribe to the YouTube, the uh, email uh, and the podcast. Uh, it's a easy ways to go back and to listen to prior lessons. Uh, I love getting to engage with you guys as you go back and you study older lessons or you ask questions during the week. Uh, it's one of my favorite things, so keep those coming. Uh, it's a lot of fun for me. And then your homework uh, is the same as it is each week. Uh, pray for help in understanding Mark. Hear Mark multiple times. Think about Mark uh, often, day and night. Talk with someone. Uh, dead or alive. The dead is because some of those guys and gals are now no longer with us, but they wrote things that can be helpful uh, about Mark. Uh, share your insights about Mark and then invite a member or a non-member uh, to our Sunday school. And the easy way to do that on Facebook is just to share it. Uh, but a lot of things that are shared or ignored, it's okay to call somebody or text somebody and say, hey, I'd love for you to engage with us in our Sunday school. Uh, and we would love for you to do that. So uh, with that, uh, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for engaging. I love all the, the feedback and the questions. And uh, repeat number three. Okay, there we go. Which one, number three? There's, oh, there's a time for blunt, direct speech that rebuts religious elite was the application. And then uh, the personalization was follow Jesus' model directly to the offender, focusing on the facts, 
dependent on sufficiency of Scripture. So there you go, Mitch. Wonderful. All right, guys. Uh, last thing for today is head over to the Stuart Heights Facebook page. Uh, at 10 o'clock, our uh, morning online uh, streamed service will begin there. So uh, grace and peace to you, and I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and to our weekly email. You can do both at OurSundaySchool.com.